1: go. Episode 385 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. We're now just four months away from Christmas. Think about that. Christmas, December 25th. Now a mere four months away. Doesn't seem like it, right? And yet it is. Uh, the last four months of every year, always fly by, don't they? September through December, that four-month stretch always flies by. Maybe it's because everyone gets into a super busy routine, right, with work and school and the end of summer vacations. Maybe it's because we all become consumed with the NFL and the routinized nature of the NFL season. Uh, But yeah, today is August 25th, and it'll be Christmas before we know it. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, before you start worrying about Christmas, if in fact you even celebrate or care about Christmas, uh, we have our commanders about whom to be concerned. Uh, Next segment, I have a jam-packed commander segment for you. Uh, I will discuss more good news regarding Logan Thomas, who continues to track toward playing in week one. Uh, I will go in-depth on the commander's offensive line. Uh, Washington's offensive line has been a surprising bright spot in each of the last two seasons. Will the line this coming season be a major positive for a third consecutive season? Do you believe in this commander's offensive line being stout, being trustworthy, protecting Carson Wentz, paving the way, for Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. You know, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about the commander's offensive line. Uh, I'm going to change that. Next segment, during which I also (laughs) have some scheduled fun for you. In fact, multiple items of scheduled fun, including Andrew Norwell on Wednesday afternoon, giving perhaps the single best press conference in the history of press conferences. I know that that's a grand statement, but trust me, you don't want to miss this. Also on the show, Cade Day is coming. The Nationals are doing it. They are calling up their top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli, to the majors. He will make His Major League regular season debut Friday night at Nationals Park against the Cincinnati Reds. And yes, the Nats have branded that day as Cade Day. But big Nats news, exciting Nats news. Uh, Cade Cavalli is among the top pitching prospects in baseball. His development is massive for this Nats rebuild for a variety of reasons. I'll talk Cade Cavalli and also a Nats win on Wednesday, a 3-1 win at the Seattle Mariners continuing a very nice recent run of the Nats pitching well and playing good defense. Uh, And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They on Wednesday night got another good start from Spencer Watkins, but they also got another lackluster offensive performance and got another leaky outing from their bullpen. Uh, owes loss to the Chicago White Sox 5 3 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Thomas Weaver on the Ryan Vermilion legal situation. Uh, very good insight, by the way, on that situation on Tuesday show, episode 383, from Howard Gutman, uh, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, a 1980 graduate of Harvard Law School. Uh, writes Thomas, Many years ago, I managed a local grocery store in a major chain. We discovered several out-of-state customers purchasing controlled substances with a local doctor's prescriptions. The DEA had us continue to sell the substances so that the DEA could get a better case on these folks. My guess is someone with the Redskins figured this out and turned in Ryan Vermillion since he was never caught in Carolina. I would not blame the team for this, and my guess is Rod Rivera never heard anything and trusted a guy who he considered a friend too much. Uh, thank you for the email, Thomas. Yeah, you know, we do not know the whistleblower in this Ryan Vermillion situation. I can tell you this, and I have talked about this, uh, Ryan Vermillion and Dr. Robin West had major problems during the 2020 season. Vermilion and West clashed during the 2020 season. I've been told this by someone who would know. Uh, Dr. Robin West was the team's director of sports medicine from June 2016 through the 2020 season. Uh, It was West who served as the lead physician and surgeon for Alex Smith over his 17 surgeries on his right leg. And I know that she and Vermillion had big problems. And I think that Alex and Vermillion had problems. Now, I'm not saying that either Dr. Robin West or Alex Smith was the whistleblower in the Ryan Vermillion situation. Uh, what I am saying is that Ryan Vermillion was a polarizing figure, at least in the minds of some. So I would not be surprised if there was some team employee who didn't like Vermillion, didn't like what he was doing with prescription meds and snitched on him. Uh, that would not shock me. Email from Yano on the commanders deciding to retire the great Sonny Jurgensen's number nine in their game against the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 18 of the 2022 season. Writes Yano, why the heck did Jason Wright and company decide to retire Sonny's jersey on January 8th? Yeah, let's schlep an 88-year-old man out to the center of the field in 15-degree bone-chilling cold with 30-mile-per-hour winds and maybe snow. Hey, Jason, ever think that Sonny might get pneumonia? Ever hear of William Henry Harrison, our ninth president? He caught pneumonia at his outdoor inauguration speech in the cold and died 30 days later. I'll bet Sonny would prefer the balmy sun-splashed rays of a sunny Sunday in September. (laughs) Thank you for the email, Yano. Uh, Look, Yano, stop being so demanding, okay? I mean, at least the team in the press release spelled Sonny's last name correctly. You know, Jurgensen is not an easy name to spell, and the team got that right, okay? So stop being so critical. Uh, Here is what I would like to know. Did the commanders schedule the retirement of Sonny's number nine for week 18 due to Sonny? Say, due to Sonny's schedule? Say, due to Sonny wanting the jersey retirement to be at a game against the arch rival Cowboys? Uh, Did the Commanders schedule the retirement of Sonny's number nine for Week 18 due to just wanting to have the retirement of arguably the greatest icon in team history to be at a game against the team's biggest rival? Or did the Commanders schedule the retirement of Sonny's number nine for Week 18 in order to sell tickets for that game? Uh, Was this a business move, a move motivated by money Uh, with no consideration given to, as Yano put put it, schlepping an 88-year-old man to the center of the field in 15-degree, bone-chilling cold with 30-mile-per-hour winds and maybe snow? Is doing the retirement of Sonny's number nine all about the money? As Jay Gruden once said of the Kirk Cousins situation, was it all about the money?
0: I think it's all about, probably all about the money, I guess.
1: Yes, Jay, exactly. All about the money. Uh, We do not know the answer regarding why truly the Commanders have scheduled the retirement of Sonny's number nine for week 18. I'm not just going to assume the worst, okay, but I am interested uh, in knowing why week 18 as opposed to say week three uh, when the Commanders will host Sonny's first NFL team the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, if it turns out that Sonny Jurgensen does suffer any harm from being out in the cold for the retirement of his number nine during the game against the Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 18 of the upcoming NFL season, you know who Sonny should call, right? Paulson and Nace. Uh, No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. If you're the case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms, uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace—they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Holson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients, and this is because Holson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Holson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government was paid nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Uh, Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you're the case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, so the Commanders' third and final preseason game is this Saturday night uh, at the Baltimore Ravens at 7. The Commanders practiced on Wednesday, and we during that practice had a very encouraging development. Tight end Logan Thomas participated in seven on seven drills. Uh, it was on Monday morning that we had the good news of the commanders having activated Logan off the active, physically unable to perform list, which he had been on since July 26 due to a torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. Uh, Logan, however, did not truly practice on Monday or Tuesday. He did, however, practice to a significant extent, on Wednesday. Uh, Logan, on Wednesday, participated in seven-on-seven work during practice, and that was a notable milestone in his recovery from the torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus. And to me, further reason to believe that Logan is tracking toward playing in Week 1, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Sunday afternoon, September 11th at one. Uh, Commanders head coach Rod Rivera did a post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Here he was on Logan participating in seven-on-seven work on Wednesday.
2: That's very important for us. Um, it, it's it's another milestone. It's, as he gets more and more involved, um, you know, it gives him a chance to, to to hopefully be ready to go in that first week. And we'll see how it, how it you know what this means um, as we practice tomorrow. Uh, you know, we'll have a light workout on Friday. We'll do a light workout Saturday, um, Sunday they'll be off, and we'll come back and we'll do some light work on Monday.
1: And did you notice that Ron Rivera in that cut talked about Logan Thomas hopefully being quote ready to go in that first week and quote? Uh, neither Ron Rivera nor Logan Thomas will say it, but Logan is tracking toward playing in Week One. Nothing is set in stone, but he is tracking toward playing in week one. And that is really impressive. Give it again that he suffered a torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus on December 5th, just eight and a half months ago. Uh, We know how good Logan Thomas can be. We certainly saw that In his first season with Washington of the 2020 season, Logan finished the 2020 regular season with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. We also saw Logan produce even in his limited playing time in the 2021 season. Uh, Logan in the 2021 regular season played in just six of Washington's 17 games. He was on the reserve injured list from October 6th to November 29th due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4. And then he shortly after returning from that injury suffered the torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus in the win at the Raiders in Week 13. But Logan, over his six games in the 2021 regular season, did have three touchdown receptions. And it's worth remembering that Logan's last game in the 2021 regular season, the win at the Raiders, was the final game in Washington's four-game winning streak. Uh, Logan's absence last season really hurt Washington. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon was asked what Logan Thomas is capable of doing in the commander's offense with Carson Wentz as the starting quarterback.
2: Well, you know, I, I've been fortunate. In, you know, I, I've, been in, I've been involved with this, this style of offense for 16 seasons. And the tight end has always been a big part of it. You know, my, my first introduction to it was Washington Antonio Gates had the kind of years that he had, you know, and then then getting Greg Olson and Jeremy Shockey and, and watching those guys have the success they've had. And then getting Logan my, my first season here and seeing what he was doing for those first two years until he got hurt. And so, you know, the potential is is good things and, and not just for him, but for the other tight ends as well.
1: And speaking of those other tight ends, uh, still not practicing on Wednesday, were John Bates, Cole Turner and Curtis Hodges. Uh, Bates, has been dealing with a calf injury. Turner has been dealing with a hamstring injury. Hodges has been dealing with a thigh injury. Uh, However, these tight ends have been staying after practices to work on things as uh, best those players can. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what do you seen from these tight ends in this extra work? And you'll hear Ron reference the commander's tight ends coach Juan Castillo and the commander's assistant tight ends coach Todd Storm.
2: Well, really, you know, when, they're, when they're doing those things, it's really all about the technique, the process of, of making sure they learn and understand and know what they're supposed to do, um, understanding what their leverage is, how to step into the leverage, how to set their hands, how to set their feet. And so you, know, you go through it and you watch what you know, Coach Castillo is doing, um, and, 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 and he and Coach Storm, they're, they're trying to take a good long look at, those, at, that, at you know, that footwork. The, the nice thing is with Juan, with his background as, a, as an offensive line coach as well, You know, he can really see those things and and help those guys with it.
1: Yeah, know this about John Bates. He, for his 2021 rookie regular season, had a run-blocking grade per pro football focus of 87.6. That is really good. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Speaking of blocking, uh, the commander's offensive line, is it finally coming together in terms of health, uh, the thinking has been that the starting offensive line will be Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, Chase Roulier at center, Trey Turner at right guard, although it's possible that Wes Schweitzer will be the starting right guard, and Samuel Cosme at right tackle. Uh, Andrew Norwell has been back practicing the last two days. He had been out for a few days with an undisclosed ailment. Uh, Trey Turner on Wednesday was doing some things uh, during Wednesday's practice. He had been out for weeks with a quadriceps injury and guard slash center Wes Schweitzer has been back practicing the last two days of having been dealing with a hip ailment. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on these three interior offensive linemen, Norwell, Turner, and Schweitzer being on the mend, uh, if not back.
2: I think their progress is good. It really is. And, and, you know, having Trey, Andrew, and Wes, for that matter, all three back out here starting to work. You know, with Trey's he's progressing, um, you know, through the quad. Uh, Andrew is, is, is loosening up and, you know, has, has really had a couple of sharp days. And with, uh, with Wes, you know, is, 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 uh, his settled down. So it, it's good to see them all out there competing and doing the things we need to have them do.
1: All right. So with Andrew Norwell. Uh, He, on Wednesday afternoon, did a post-practice press conference, and it was not, shall we say, among the more electrifying press conferences in the history of press conferences. Uh, For example, this was the second Q&A from the press conference. The question came from Commander's Insider Stephen Wino of the Associated Press. When you're joining a new team, and obviously, Brandon Sheriff, you kind of flipping places. How much do you feel, I don't know, an obligation, but a pressure to kind of do what he did here for this team, given kind of what you guys have done both in your careers? Um, next question. <laughs> wow. <laughs> next question. Andrew Norwell gave Stephen Wino the next question response. Jeez, uh, it's not like Wino asked some mean or nasty or unfair question, and yet Norwell hit Wino with a next question. Uh, Well, Wino then asked Norwell another question. Here was how that went. How good as an offensive line can you guys be? I mean, obviously it's new pieces and all that, but like, what can you guys do as a group?
3: Um, Just come together as a unit and uh, work hard every day and um, yeah, that's about it.
1: (laughs) I mean, really? That's it? Could Andrew Norwell have tried any less with that answer? Could Norwell have given any less effort with that answer? Uh, all right, well, let's try with a different reporter. The dean of Commander's Beat Reporters is John Keim of ESPN. He has been covering the team since the mid-1990s. Here was an exchange between Keim and Norwell.
2: When you've had to miss time with a new, not so much a new system, maybe, but a new group of guys, what's the adjustment period for you when you come back?
3: Uh, What was your question again?
2: When you're coming back after missing a little bit of time, and you know, just during camp, what's the adjustment period for you like when you come back, considering it's
1: a new group of guys?
3: Uh, Just, you know, just do my, uh, just do my job. You know, just focus on myself and do my job.
1: Yeah, Andrew Norwell, still not, shall we say, super excited to answer questions. Uh, That was about as cliche of an answer as you can give. Just focus on myself and do my job. Uh, Okay, sounds great. Uh, Hey, maybe Andrew Norwell just isn't someone who likes to talk about himself. You know, Maybe the way to get Norwell going is to ask him about somebody else. So let's try that. I mean, one of the more exciting Commander's developments over the last few weeks has been the rise of rookie running back Brian Robinson Jr., right? The Commanders took him in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. He is a physical, bruising, yardage after contact generating back. Uh Here was an exchange between John Kime and Andrew Norwell on Brian Robinson Jr. Uh This had to have gotten Norwell to open up, right?
2: And when, when you're watching, I know you're not watching Brian Robinson during a game. You're, you know, but when you're, I guess when you're watching film of him, what stands out to, about him as a running back to you?
3: Um, you know, he's, you know, he hits the holes when they're open, and uh, you know he comes to work every day.
1: Nah <laughs> it turns out that a question about Brian Robinson Jr. did not get Andrew Norwell to put any effort into an answer. Uh, look, not every player likes talking to reporters. That Andrew Norwell on Wednesday afternoon pretty clearly had zero interest in talking to reporters is fine. Uh, that doesn't make him a bad guy. I would just say two things. Number one, Uh, I hope that Andrew Norwell's blocking is a lot better than his press conferences. And number two, he may not want to give good answers, but that doesn't mean that we can't have some scheduled fun with his answers. Uh, Well, what matters much more than Andrew Norwell's answers at a press conference is just how good is the commander's offensive line going to be this coming season? What is the truth about the commander's offensive line for the 2022 season. I'll get to that in moments. But the truth about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is that now is the time. And so that's why you got to get with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Yeah, the time for buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is now. The rise in mortgage rates has led to a rise in inventory, leading to a reduction in prices. Uh, I read to you from D.C. Urban Turf, quote, inventory has bottomed out in the region with big increases in the availability of both single-family detached homes and townhomes in many local markets, end quote. Now is the time to buy, especially with rents going up. And when it comes to getting a deal done to buy the Washington, D.C. area home that you want, ain't nobody better than Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel.com. Kel, Kell, K E L L. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. He is here for you to listen to what you want no matter your situation in life. Whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Uh, Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy. He will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt understands what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. So if I asked you which position group has been the biggest bright spot for Washington over the last two seasons, there's a pretty good chance that your answer would be the offensive line. Uh the commanders in John Matsko have one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the NFL. Uh John Matsko to me is Washington's best offensive line coach since the greatest offensive line coach in franchise history, Joe Bugle. And what's interesting about that is that Matzko has been an NFL offensive line coach in some form since 1992. Uh, It was in 1992 that John Matzko was the offensive line coach for the Phoenix Cardinals. Not the Arizona Cardinals, the Phoenix Cardinals. And who was the Cardinals head coach at the time? Joe Bugle. How about that? John Matzko now is 71. Uh, he is one of many Carolina imports by Washington head coach Rod Rivera from his time as Carolina Panthers head coach. But out of all of the members of the Carolina Mafia, out of all of the Comanthers, uh John Matsko to me has been the best. He has done a tremendous job over his two seasons as Washington offensive line coach. Uh, Washington's offensive line in the 2020 season was surprisingly good. Washington's offensive line in the 2021 season was surprisingly great. And despite many injuries, uh, Washington in the 2021 regular season saw so many key offensive linemen miss substantial time due to injury. Uh, Right tackle Samuel Cosme, right guard Brandon Sheriff center Chase Rullier, center Tyler Larson. Washington, remember, was down to its fourth string center in Keith Ismail as the season went on. And yet Washington finished the 2021 regular season number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63 percent, number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75 percent, and number six in the NFL in overall offensive line play. Pro football focus. So the question is Is this coming season going to be a third consecutive season of quality offensive line play for Washington? Well, there are some reasons for concern. Uh, The starting right tackle, Samuel Cosme, is a very talented second year player, but he, in his 2021 rookie season, did play in just nine of Washington's 17 regular season games. Uh, Cosme was banged up a lot last season. Uh, The starting center, Chase Rullier, is coming off a season-ending fractured left fibula and damage to his left ankle. Uh, He suffered those injuries in the loss at the Denver Broncos last Halloween. Uh, the guy who many presumed to be the starting right guard, Trey Turner, who the commanders in May signed as an unrestricted free agent, uh, he only now is ramping up off having missed weeks due to a quadriceps injury. And he has not been good over the last two seasons. Uh, Turner in the 2020 regular season for the Los Angeles Chargers played in just nine games due to a groin injury. His overall grade for pro football focus for the 2020 regular season was a horrendous 348 uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Turner's overall grade for PFF for the 2020 regular season, Amir The Chargers in March 2021 released Turner. Uh, Turner in June 2021 signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an unrestricted free agent. He in the 2021 regular season uh, was a starter for the Steelers for all 17 of their games. But he in that 2021 regular season for pro football focus had an overall grade of 69.4 and allowed seven sacks. Uh, He in the 2021 regular season committed six penalties and he was part of a Steelers offensive line that was not good. Uh, The Steelers for the 2021 regular season finished number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 49%. That is brutal. And uh, finished number 30 out of 32 NFL teams in team run block win rate per ESPN at 67%. So yeah, there are some reasons for concern with the commanders' offensive line, especially considering that the team's two starting guards from last season, right guard Brandon Sheriff and left guard Eric Flowers, uh, now are gone. Uh, Sheriff in March left as an unrestricted free agent for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The commanders in March released Flowers. But there also are plenty of reasons to believe that the commanders' offensive line in 2022 will be good. Uh, first of all, regarding Sheriff, yes, he is a good right guard, but also, yes, He missed a lot of time for Washington over the last few seasons. Uh, You look at who's still here. Charles Leno Jr. did a really nice job as Washington's starting left tackle last season. And Leno has been a pillar of durability in his NFL career. Charles Leno Jr. hasn't missed a regular season game since the start of the 2015 season. And he's only entering his age 31 season. Charles Leno Jr. is not nearly as old as you might think. Uh, Andrew Norwell The commander's new starting left guard, Uh, okay, so maybe he's not Captain Charisma at his press conferences, but he, for the most part, has been durable. Uh, Norwell, over his last six seasons, 2016 through 2021, has played in 89 of a possible 97 regular season games. He was ranked by Pro Football Focus as being the number eight free agent interior offensive lineman in the 2022 NFL offseason. The Commanders in March signed Norwell as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, And if Samuel Cosme and Chase Rullier are healthy, and those are two significant ifs, but if those guys are healthy, uh, they are good players. And the Commanders do have offensive line depth. In swing tackle Cornelius Lucas, who the team this past March astutely resigned as an unrestricted free agent, uh, and guard/slash center Wes Schweitzer, and the depth will be even better once center Tyler Larson comes off the reserve physically unable to perform list. Uh, he got placed on that on Tuesday morning, meaning that he will miss at least the Commanders' first four games in the 2022 regular season. Larson is coming off an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. Also, by the way, the Commanders on Wednesday claimed guard Wes Martin off waivers from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, the same Wes Martin who the Redskins took in the fourth round of the 2019 NFL draft. And so when you add all of this up and then you throw in all of these guys being under the guidance of the wise offensive line sage, John Matsko, who is a master of making the offensive line whole greater than the sum of its parts, uh, then yeah, I do believe that this can be a third consecutive good season for Washington's offensive line. The biggest wild card may well be the new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. Uh, we know that he traditionally holds on to balls for good chunks of time. Is Carson's style going to lead to too much being asked of the offensive line? Uh, that is a possibility. We'll see what happens. But Offensive line play is so important, and I know that I'm not breaking news and saying that, but you know, an offensive line is the platform upon which you run your offense. Good offensive line play can mean so many good things for a team's passing offense and rushing offense. Three other commander's injury notes from Wednesday. Uh, Receiver Cam Sims did not practice on Wednesday as he was in concussion protocol. Uh, Corner Benjamin St. Juice was back practicing on Wednesday. He did not practice on Tuesday. Uh, He previously dealt with a hamstring ailment that, as you may recall, prevented him from playing in the Commander's preseason opening 23-21 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field on August 13th. And interior defensive lineman Fiderian Mathis was not practicing on Wednesday. He got nicked during Tuesday's practice. He appears to be dealing with a leg injury. All right, so what about this Saturday night at the Ravens? Uh, Will Commander starters play in this third and final preseason game for the team? Uh, I had been assuming no, but take a listen to this from the very end of Rod Rivera's post-practice press conference, on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, this is an exchange first with Commanders Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic and then with Commanders Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. And let's see if you pick up on a certain phrase that Ron keeps using. You met the determination about we the plane? Very limited. Very limited.
2: Very limited. Very limited. that actually defense? Yep. Very limited. To play, very
1: yeah, so I don't know, but it seems to me that the phrase that pays from that portion of Rod Rivera's post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon was very limited.
2: Very limited.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you, Ron. Very limited. Will Commanders starters play at the Ravens this Saturday night? Very limited. Yes, okay. I think we got it. Uh, For the record, I do not think that it's necessary for commander starters to play at the Ravens. Uh, Not because the starters don't need the work, but because what's the point? Uh, They would only play to a, wait for it, very limited extent.
2: Very limited.
1: Yes. Uh, So what exactly would that accomplish? Like, what does very limited mean? A series? Okay. (laughs) So what? Like, I'm just not convinced that that's going to accomplish anything. Uh, What I think Ron Rivera may be doing is wanting his starters to prepare as if they're playing. And then Ron shortly before kickoff will tell them that they are not playing. Uh, I do think that that's very much a possibility. I can't remember the last time that a significant number of Washington starters or even key players played in a preseason finale. Uh, although one of the funniest things that I have ever seen did involve a Redskin starter playing a lot in a preseason finale. September 2nd, 2010, the Redskins' preseason ending 2010 loss at the Arizona Cardinals, Skins head coach Mike Shanahan embroiled in a bitter battle with interior defensive lineman Albert Hainsworth over a variety of issues. And so Mike had Albert play a ton in that preseason finale, including in the fourth quarter of that preseason finale. Albert in that game played deep into the fourth quarter. I was doing the official Redskins post game show on the Redskins radio network at the time. This was a game again at Arizona. So the game kicked off late. I was taking calls like late into the night, you know, two, three in the morning. And I was talking about this, like this was such a big thing, right? Albert Hainsworth playing in the fourth quarter of the preseason finale. You talk about making a guy humble or at least trying to make a guy humble. Uh, Mike had Albert <laughs> playing deep into the fourth quarter of the preseason finale make him humble yes as the iron cheek would say make him humble up next I'm talking nationals it is finally happening the Nats are calling up their top pitching prospect Cade Cavalli to the majors he will make his major league regular season debut this Friday night I'll react to that and to a 3-1 Nats win at the Seattle Mariners straight ahead Well, in this no good, very bad Nationals 2022 season, there have been so few things about which to feel good, about which to feel excited. And so I am pleased to say to you on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast that we in this Nats 2022 season have something about which to be very excited. The Nats finally are calling up their top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli. And he will be their starting pitcher for their next game, home to the Cincinnati Reds, Friday night at 7.05. We have been talking about Cade Cavalli for quite some time now. Uh, The Nats took him with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. He currently is the number 58 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, he was among the Nats non-roster invitees to 2022 Nat spring training. He, this season for AAA Rochester, got off to a really bad start. He over his first seven starts for Rochester in the 2022 season, had an ERA of 762, but he lately has been really good. Last seven starts, 36 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 147, 43 strikeouts. Versus 12 walks. Uh, He certainly looks the part to whatever extent that matters. He's listed as being 6'4 and 240 pounds, and we're about to find out if he can perform the part. Uh, The Nats so need Cade Cavalli to pan out. You really can't emphasize that enough. The number one reason that the Nats are in the state that they're in is the bad job that the team has done of drafting and developing players for years now the Nats have not had a starting pitcher who they drafted and developed truly blossom for them at the major league level since Steven Strasburg, if you can believe that. And the Nats took Strasburg with the number one pick in the 2009 MLB draft. 2009. It's 2022, people. Uh, There is immense pressure on the Nats for Cavalli to work out. Uh, They certainly took their time this season in calling him up To the majors, and you know that's okay. If the Nats truly did not think that Cavalli was ready, then they were right to wait on calling him up. I do respect the Nats not having led the uh, wretched state of their major league pitching staff, having governed what they did with Cavalli this season. But his time pretty clearly has come, and I'm pumped to see what he does on Friday night, and I'm pumped to see what he does moving forward for the rest of the Nats season. Uh, Kate Cavalli's major league regular season debut on Friday night to me is the biggest major league regular season debut for a Nats pitcher since Steven Strasburg's June 8th, 2010. I mean that. And part of that is that there just haven't been that many other big major league regular season debuts for Nats pitchers for years now. But this Cavalli debut is a big deal. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during a pregame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon on Cade Cavalli.
3: We're excited. You know, he's going to come. He's checked a lot of the boxes. Um, you know, with that being said, like I said, with all our young guys, is you know the, the part of the process is patience, right? And so we're going to get him up here and get him going and um, and, and see how see how he does. But um, he's he's done well and and in Rochester really well, as as the numbers will indicate. But um, we'll get him up here, and like I said, he will get an opportunity to start here for us the uh, last five six weeks of the season.
1: As for the weight, uh, like I said, the Nats this season took their time in calling up Kate Cavalli to the majors. Uh, there for a while in spring training was talk of him potentially breaking camp with the Nats. So we went from that to him not being called up from AAA Rochester until late August. Uh, now, he hasn't officially been called up yet, but he will be called up for Friday night. Davey Martinez on Wednesday afternoon on The Patience with Cade Cavalli, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Nat's insider Jesse Doakerty of the Washington Post.
3: It's definitely hard, you know, that you know, um, not having him up here, not wanting to, want to see him compete up here. But then again, you you have to think of of, of longevity in the future for him, as well as for us. So, um, like I said, uh, you know, we I thought uh, Riz myself, uh, the the whole organization did a great job of letting him letting him just. Get his, his feet wet, let him continue to to to, to build, um, and uh, learn how to compete. Uh, and he's done all those things, so uh, he's going to get an opportunity Friday. Dude, when you mentioned the patience aspect, are you um, are you telling us? Or are you also kind
0: of telling yourself? Like, who's that message oh, mostly it's, for? It's, it's it's
3: it's me, everybody. I mean, you know, I mean, we really got to understand, you know, that hey, he's worked really hard, but yet he's you know he's fairly young, especially young to the pitching part of it right, right. so um there's going to be kind of a, a little bit of a process you know we all want him to do well you know that's what that's one thing for sure everybody yeah we want him to come up here and succeed but um it's going to come with you know we'll get we just gonna have to take some time and take time with him and um and he's going to have to learn still learning a lot of different things so uh but um his stuff definitely you know his stuff definitely plays it really does so um like i said we'll, we'll get an opportunity to get him up here and put no pressure on him just let him go out there and compete
1: all right. So we on Wednesday had the Cade Cavalli news. And then we later on Wednesday had a Nats win, uh, a 3-1 win at the Seattle Mariners for a split of a two-game series. And to conclude, a 3-3 three three trip out west. Not bad, Davey Martinez.
2: I'm proud of your voice.
1: Yeah, be proud of the boys. So The Nats improved to a major league worst of forty-two and eighty-three in the twenty twenty-two regular season. Boy, the Nats pitching and defense really have been good lately. I mean that the Nats pitching and defense really have been good lately. The Nats run prevention really has been good lately. The Nats during this three and three trip out west allowed a total of just thirteen runs, and it's it's, it's a good thing because. The Nats right now are barely hitting. Uh, the Nats during the 3-3 and trip out West scored a total of just 16 runs. Uh, a lot of low-scoring games on this six-game trip out West. But, you know, the Nats went 3-3 and against two pretty good teams in the San Diego Padres and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and so good is the Nats pitching right now that even Anibal Sanchez is getting in on the act. Uh, Sanchez on Wednesday was good for a second consecutive start, a four and a third scoreless inning. So yeah, the volume wasn't there, but look, it's Annabelle Sanchez in his age 38 season. What do you want? Four and a third shutout innings to me, you take that and run with it. If you're the Nats, uh, he gave up just two hits, a double and to single. He issued two walks into hit by pitch. He recorded two strikeouts. Uh, he over his four and a third innings through 81 pitches, 46 strikes, versus 35 balls. Look, he was far from dominant, okay? He remains a road to nowhere for the rebuilding Nats. Again, age 38 season, but Annabelle Sanchez on Wednesday was effective uh, just like he was at his previous start. Uh, Sanchez in a 3-1 win at the Padres last Thursday night, one run in five innings, uh, he gave up just one hit, which was a one-out solo homer by the former Oriole, Manny Machado, in the bottom of the fourth to tie the game at one. Sanchez came into that game with an ERA of 720 over six major league starts in the 2022 regular season. So for him over his last two starts now to have allowed just one run in nine and a third innings, that is is improvement. Uh, The Nats bullpen on Wednesday was good. Uh, The Nats bullpen, for the most part, lately has been really good. Four Nats relievers on Wednesday combined to allow one run in four and two-thirds innings with seven strikeouts. Uh, Hunter Harvey, he came into the game bottom of the fifth, runner on third, one out. Nats nursing a one nothing lead. And Harvey recorded back-to-back swinging strikeouts. Hunter Harvey for the Nats, over 20 and two thirds innings, has 23 strikeouts and a whip of 0.97. He was out from April 21st to July 10th with a right pronator strain that adds this past March claimed Harvey off waivers from the San Francisco Giants. He always has had talent He just has been so injury prone. I mean, he has been as injury prone as like any pitcher who you will ever see. The Orioles took Hunter Harvey with the number 22 overall pick in the 2013 MLB draft. But this season is only his age 27 season. He's actually still pretty young. And for however long he stays healthy, he usually is effective. And he has been quite effective for the Nats. Uh, Victor Arano on Wednesday, one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Carl Edwards Jr. on Wednesday, one run in one and a third innings with two strikeouts. He in the bottom of the seventh, faced two batters, got two outs, including striking out J.P. Crawford looking for the third out. Uh, Edwards in the bottom of the eighth did give up a game-tying two-out solo homer to Julio Rodriguez to left field To tie the game at one. And then Kyle Finnegan came into the game and he tossed one and a third scoreless innings for a four out save. Uh, He tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth despite giving up a leadoff double to Eugenio Suarez and issuing a two out four pitch walk of Adam Frazier. But ultimately, Finnegan got the job done. Uh, As for the Nats offense in this 3 1 win at the Mariners on Wednesday, the hero of the game. Ildemoro Vargas, because of course he was. <laughs> uh, Ildemoro Vargas has supplanted Michael Franco as the Nats' number one third baseman. And Vargas, who isn't known for his hitting, continues to hit. Uh, Vargas on Wednesday as the Nats' starting third baseman and number eight batter, two for four, with a two-run homer and a single. Uh, Vargas in the top of the fifth had a single to right field on an 0-2 pitch. And Vargas in the Nats' two-run ninth smashed a tie-breaking two-out, two-run homer to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Nats lead. So the game got tied up in the bottom of the eighth with that Julio Rodriguez homer off Carl Edwards Jr. But then Ildemar Vargas struck back top of the ninth, two-run bomb with two outs on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Nats lead. Uh, the Nats on August 1st selected the contract of infielder Ildamoro Vargas from Triple A Rochester. Uh, this was done off the Nats earlier in the day, having traded their super utility man, A. Adrianza. To the Atlanta Braves for outfielder Trey Harris. Uh, the Nats signed Vargas as a free agent in May 2022. This season is Vargas's age 30 season. I mean, this is a guy who is a veteran who is known far more for his defensive versatility than he is for his offense. But again, he's basically the A-Ray Adrianza replacement. But Ildemoro Vargas now for the Nats in the 2022 regular season at the major league level, 65 plate appearances, an OPS of 804. I can't believe that he's hitting like this, but he is. He's doing a nice job for the Nats. Uh, The Nats' other run on Wednesday came via three consecutive one-out singles in a one-run first. Uh, Nelson Cruz has the Nats' starting DH and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single and two strikeouts. He in that Nats' one-run first, had a one-out first pitch RBI single up the middle for a 1-0 Nats lead. uh Verde Ruiz on Wednesday got on base twice. He is the Nats' starting catcher and number 6 batter, 1-for-3, with a double and a walk. Uh, Ruiz in the top of the sixth, a one-out first pitch double to right field. Ruiz in that Nats' two-run ninth, a leadoff six-pitch walk. What was the Nats' only walk in the game to go with nine hits. Uh, the Nats, after the win on Wednesday, did make a roster move. They optioned pitcher Corey Abbott to AAA Rochester. No game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them is a three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night at 7.05. Yes, Cade Cavalli will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05. Paulo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. The Nats are skipping a start for Josiah Gray in order to monitor his workload. So some more changes are likely coming to the Nats' rotation. But for now, the biggest change, Cade Cavalli, is a part of the Nats' rotation. Well, the last time that the Nationals had a starting pitcher making a much-anticipated Major League regular season debut was Lucas Giolito in June 2016. Uh, The Nats in December 2016 traded Giolito to the Chicago White Sox as part of a three-pitcher package for outfielder Adam Eaton. Uh, Giolito does remain on the White Sox. The Orioles faced Giolito on Wednesday night and the results were not good for the O's. Uh, a 5-3 loss to the White Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game two of a three-game series. O's in the 2022 regular season now, 64-59 and 59 and two and a half games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. Lucas Diolito on Wednesday night, one run in six and a third innings. Although he's not having a good season, uh, his ERA For the 2022 regular season, over 23 starts is 5-14. Uh, But the O's on Wednesday night were back to not hitting much. Uh, The final score was made to look better via an Austin Hayes one-out two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Hayes as the Orioles starting left fielder and number five batter, one for four with the two-run homer. The O's for the game, just six hits to go with three walks, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. Cedric Mullins did have two hits. He is the Orioles' starting center fielder and number one batter, two for four with a double and a single. Mullins is having a really good month of August. Uh, your Cedric Mullins slash line for this month of August now, batting average of 324 on base percentage of 378, slugging percentage of 554. Uh, Mullins has been awesome this month. Mullins this month has been what he was for so much of last season for the O's. He has not had a great 2022 season, but he is having an excellent month of August. Uh, Atley Rutschman on Wednesday night had an extra base hit. He is the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, one for four with a double, but otherwise not much offense for the O's on Wednesday night, wasting a really good start. By Spencer Watkins. Uh, Watkins on Wednesday night, two runs in six innings. Uh, He had five strikeouts versus two walks. He gave up five hits, all of which were singles. He did issue a hit by pitch and a wild pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes Uh, 88 pitches, 59 strikes versus 29 balls. And, you know, Watkins did what he did despite getting off to a bad start. Watkins in the top of the first allowed two runs on three one out singles and a one out walk. Uh, but he then tossed five and two thirds scoreless innings. O's manager Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night, on Spencer Watkins.
3: Yeah, I thought he did a great job. You know, first inning was a little, little shaky, much of hard contact, and gave up a couple runs. But then settled in after that. And, uh, you know, two-one game kept us right there, uh, five zeros after the after the two spot there in the first. So. Um, I thought his pitch mix was got really good as the as the game went on and and uh, yeah, really a good start for us.
1: Yes, it was. Uh, Spencer Watkins now in the 2022 regular season, 18 major league games, 17 starts, ERA a 3.96. I mean, he has been good. Two consecutive good outings for him now. Watkins in his previous outing, 3-2 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday afternoon, one run in five and two-thirds innings. But not good right now is the Orioles' bullpen. Uh, You know, a lot has been asked of this Orioles' bullpen this season. The bullpen, for the most part, has been tremendous, but we are now starting to see the bullpen falter. And you wonder if we are seeing the workload that has been thrust upon this Orioles' bullpen Finally catching up to the bullpen. Uh four Orioles relievers on Wednesday night combined to allow three runs in three innings on seven hits, four walks, and a wild pitch. Now all seven of the hits were singles. Heck, all twelve of the White Sox's hits on Wednesday night were singles, so there was some bad luck in play. Uh, also, Brandon Hyde on Wednesday night did not use his A bullpen. We did not see Felix Batista. We did not see CNL Perez. We did not see Dylan Tate. But, you know, if you're following the O's game in, game out, uh, the bullpen these days is giving up at least a run or two, or so it seems, game in, game out. And you figured something like this might happen, probably was going to happen, but uh, you don't want this to be a lasting thing. You know, if this happens for a week or two, okay. But if this is something that's going to be the case the rest of the season, it's going to be hard to end up making the postseason. Uh, Of course, just the fact that I just said what I said, right? Going to be hard for the O's to make the postseason. I mean, if you're an O's fan, raise your hand if you ever expected that to be a part of your Orioles conversation come late August. Game three for the O's against the White Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Thursday night at 7.05, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 386, will feature a special guest talking commanders, NFL analyst Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has ninety seven thousand plus subscribers to his YouTube channel, and he, on his YouTube channel, has put together a tremendous film breakdown of the Commander's third-down defense in the 24-14 preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs this past Saturday. Uh, Samuel Gold is a big Commander's fan, and he and I are going to conduct a deep dive on this Commander's third-down defense. What went wrong at the Chiefs and why? Who's to blame? And what's going to happen with Washington's third down defense come the regular season off the team's third down defense having been so bad last season. Uh, Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Orioles. The O's on Thursday night at 7.05 will begin game three of their three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday when you're joining a new team and obviously Brandon Sheriff you kind of flipping places how much do you feel I don't know an obligation but a pressure to kind of do what he did here for this team given kind of what you guys have done both in your careers um, next question